0: If you're listening to this, there's probably some part of you that is hungry for weirdness. Maybe you've been touched by the unseen, and as a consequence of this, you're marked in some invisible way that draws more of it to you. Maybe you're not, and you're just a fellow traveler in the strange currents of the invisible world, an enthusiast of high strangeness, who hopes one day to ride the wave and come away with a story to tell. I can certainly relate to that. I like weird. I like weird people. I like weird art and culture. I go out of my way to find it because the world around me, packed as it is, with interesting places and people, just doesn't seem to do much for me. I wanna see something that I've never seen before. I wanna see something that brings my imagination fully to bear, and I want it to be the sort of thing that is not easily forgotten. And once I've seen that and gotten my mind around it, I want to find something new. A thirst for novelty can be a real burden. And my guest today levels a terrifying prospect. Is there anything worse than being sentenced to an eternity of boredom? I mean, how quickly would you go out of your mind if your world was reduced to a static, unchanging state? How evil would someone have to be to conclusively prove to me that all the things I thought were real magic, ghosts, cave goblins, were absolutely not real, and only the creatures of my imagination. To me, there's nothing worse than a static world of monotony. Eat, work, sleep, eat, work, sleep, die. An unending world of brutalist architecture and overcast skies. I'd compare it to a Franz Kafka story, but at least the machine did something wondrous. Terrible, yes, but also quite interesting. And Gregor Samsa did wake up an insect that one time, so that's something at least. Apart from the obvious problem of never having enough new discoveries to keep me engaged, there's the very real problem that the unseen and the paranormal come with qualities that aren't easily articulated, or are often left out of the conversation entirely. When you finally come face to face with that invisible thing that you wanted to experience since childhood, nobody thinks to tell you that encountering it has a weight to it that triggers the most primal of fear responses in you, but for reasons you can't explain. Any thrill that you might get from that brush with the paranormal is overshadowed by an oppressive horror that you'll always be at a loss to explain. But once that passes and the horror is behind you, You find yourself looking for it again. Was it imagined? You're certain that this terrible encounter actually happened, aren't you? I'm Brian White, and this is Fear is the Mind Killer. My guest for this episode is AP Strange, a fellow weirdo who gives me acute imposter syndrome. Touched by something profoundly weird at a very young age, He was stricken with the same maddening fascination and obsession that many of us face having come into contact with something that defies explanation. Nowadays, he's a grown ass man and a walking encyclopedia of the bizarre and curates one of the most interesting social media presences on the internet. We talk about the unbearable dread of a world without magic, coping with high strangeness when directly applied to the human experience and the gate a horror movie for younger kids that is way darker than you expect it to be. And if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to Fear is the Mind Killer on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And while you're at it, I sure would appreciate a five-star review. It helps raise the show's profile and gets the word out. And now, here's A.B. Strange. You're listening to Fear is the Mind Killer. I'm your host, Brian White. And uh, today I am joined by uh, somebody who I have had sort of in orbit for a really long time. We live reasonably close to one another and have sort of managed to not meet up even though we've been in the same place a couple of times. Um, I am joined tonight by AP Strange. How are you? I'm doing okay, how are you? I am I am good. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, like really right around the first time right around the time that we kind of connected on Twitter, which is really kind of where I make most of my connections with people these days in terms of like the, the weirdo sphere. And uh, it was right around the time. It was probably a couple of years ago at the Exeter UFO festival. Yeah. And you were there. Uh, with I think with like a group of just like a friends and I was there with my son and we managed to miss a couple of times even though we were like texting the whole time
1: yeah so (laughs) yeah I was gonna say that time at Exeter it was pretty funny I'm like uh, oh you're here you know
0: yeah um, yeah I make it I make it a point to I make it a point to to never miss it like I and I really have no excuse because I I'm like literally 10 minutes away from where they from where they hold it so um yeah, like the very first time I ever went to it was on the was actually their second show that they did. Um And it's always on that like Labor Day weekend, which is like right around my birthday. So it's kind of like, hey, happy birthday. Like it, nobody has like any reason to bug me now that I'm going to go down and listen to a bunch of people talked about UFO yeah. sightings and stuff. And uh, I think that
1: was on my birthday that year or, or the day before. Robert. Get out of here. Yeah. We
0: must be. Yeah, we must be right around the same around the same date
1: right end of um, august for me so oh yeah I'm,
0: I'm right at the beginning of september september 2nd yeah. yeah um but yeah i this is this is sort of a pattern that's kind of emerging where i have deliberately chosen and it's it kind of comes easily since most of the people that i've I, i've kind of surrounded myself with in the social space are people who are tapped into the same sort of 40 and mysteries and of the occult and and just general weirdness and so it's really kind of apropos and on point that i bring you guys on because we all have a tendency to sort of face the darkness and kind of stare into the abyss for fun yeah and so when i when i usually ask the question it's typically pretty surprising to me like what it is that actually kind of frightens people who kind of make a sport or a hobby out of looking into stuff that like any, any normal person, their hair would turn white. Right. <laughs> and so of well, interesting to have
1: your own personal experiences with it too, I think, you know.
0: Definitely. So. And that was something that for the longest time was definitely, was kind of not true for me. I I was always sort of a, an experiencer in the second or third, third person where for me, it kind of began with my mom just one day out of, out of nowhere, was like, Hey, you know, we used to live in a haunted house. And I was like, shut up, tell me everything. And like, after that, you know, this was like way before the internet. So like I was down at the library, checking out all the books on the paranormal that I could find scaring the shit out of myself. Um, And then eventually, yeah, it did kind of catch up with me. And I ended up in that, in that place. And it, you know, kind of helps that you, uh, I was making a habit out of doing my best to sort of ensure that it one day happens, but I'm interested, like, where does, where's, like, where's the beginning of your, your path?
1: Yeah. Um, well, it's funny too, cause I was going to ask you about that. Uh, I heard you mention on previous episodes that the haunted house stuff really gets you like yeah. in horror movies and just stories in general, that the, that,
0: yeah, <laughs> that so- seems to
1: be the thing that you fear. So it's kind of interesting that you had that jump onto it based on, you know, your mother's,
0: it's probably experience. it. It's probably something to do. Definitely something to do with that because I, you know, and I I think I've kind of gone through it. Some of like in the, in the Sarah Elizabeth episode, I kind of dig into what it is about just sort of like being in a place that's supposed to be really kind of like your, your sanctuary, you know, your home when you can't yeah. even trust that, you know, like I, I talk, I sort of, I kind of pinpoint the Amityville horror as the, as the movie that I think really kind of drove it home for me. Like the first time that I saw it, I was like, petrified i was like a teenager i wasn't like a little kid when i saw it it's not even a very good movie if i'm being honest but right there's something just about that that story that and and the way that like you're in your home and you are just in much greater danger there from things that you just can't comprehend and then later on you know obviously i was kind of heartbroken to find out that the whole thing was just bullshit but um there's there,
1: still weird things to pick apart about it, you know, I, I think. But, uh, yeah, I mean, largely it's at the very least uh, embellished, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah.
0: So yeah, it's, it's to a point where whenever I see the Warren's name kind of attached to anything these days, it's like, oh, fuck those guys. And it's especially weird nowadays that there's like an entire film franchise that kind of characterizes them as like occult superheroes, which is just yeah. so, so strange
1: it's so weird um did you ever did you ever meet them or see them at a conference or anything
0: i had seen um lorraine in passing i think by that point ed had been dead but like i i'd never met them met them but like they're 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 from like uh connecticut or something weren't they they were like yep reasonably local to, to um, monroe,
1: monroe connecticut i think is where the museum was yeah um, but i saw them give a presentation when i was 12 years old
0: Oh, shit.
1: I I was able to track down the timestamp on it because I still have the X-Men comic that I was reading when it was new at the time.
0: (laughs) That's amazing.
1: So uh, 1994, I guess. But when I saw them give a presentation at the local library, my mom brought me. And I was being like a punk kid about it and didn't want to listen to them. Yeah. And then when they started talking, I was like rolling my eyes, even at age 12. Cause you know, by then I had already experienced some stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like the thing that I think the, the thing that always got me about them is really that it's all, it's demons, it's demons and demons yeah. and demons, and it's all evil and it's all Satan. I
1: distinctly remember Ed holding up a Ouija board <laughs> during the presentation. <laughs> yeah. He's like, never bring one of these into your house. If you look on the back, he goes. Look what it says on the back. Made in Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah, I rest my case. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) I actually had one of those original. I remember my mother was is and still is petrified of those things. Um, for whatever. Well, I know exactly the reason. I mean, it was we were we were very Catholic when I was a kid, and um, The Exorcist made a very like intense impression on that on that generation of Catholics and so Mm -hmm. the whole notion of the of the of the Ouija board just kind of frightens so many people but when I was very very little my dad took us myself and my sister to like a like a garage sale at a nearby house where they were actually selling one of those the original Mm -hmm. like not one of the old school, old school ones, but one of those ones that you you see every now and then in like, yeah, I mean, you can Google image search it, but one of the original sort of mass produced Parker Brothers ones that had that blue spirit on the front of the box, yes. kind of giving yep. the symbol. I remember that so distinctly because it was so spooky. And when my mom got home, she lost her fucking mind like. You brought the like, like she, he may as well have just invited the devil himself into the house. So right, yeah. So I mean, that's that's really kind of the root of a lot of that sort of like unseen horror in the house kind of thing that I think sort of follows me around.
1: Right, and I think you and I have that in common too, where I was raised Catholic, and I, I think the Catholicism itself, or or at least having a Catholic parent that that has a uh, an aversion to these sort of things.
0: It's can- weird. It's because I, and it's the thing that I I can. For the longest time i was a humongous you know jerk about about religion and um yeah you know, i was like a reddit atheist type person like before that was even a thing just just insufferable and annoying but like eventually it kind of came back around to it for just you know very like per reasons that that are, you know are, are sort of characteristically personal of, a, of an adult who eventually comes back to religion but um the uh, there there's something about it. Like even in those times when I was just like not into it, not having it, not feeling it. Whenever I would see somebody who was very clearly influenced by Catholicism, I could just spot it. Yeah, it has a very distinct sort of scent or flavor to it when uh, when that sort of that sort of paranoia comes up. And I'm I'm really not exactly sure what it is because I can't put a name on it. But it's very, very different from the sort of other kind of weirdo strains of Christianity, like, you know, like Pentecostals who, you know, speak in tongues and handle snakes and shit like that. But um, it definitely culminates, you know, a person who's either really, really hooked in and wired into the religion or somebody who... Doesn't really go for the spiritual part of it, but loves all the spooky shit that happens in in mm-hmm. Catholicism because that is a really kind of morbid, grim religion.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it probably makes you a, a little bit prepared for you know ritual occultism too, because and what is it but an elaborate occult ritual? It really know, is Catholic like Mass. You know,
0: Mass on yeah. Sunday is you know is ceremony to a T. You know, they just yeah dare not put that put that label on it. And I actually like that you know like <laughs> well i think that's ultimately what kind of brought me back cuz i'm not really i'm not catholic the like these days i'm catholic in the sense that i was i was c- uh, confirmed but like you know my my personal spirituality is catholic ish it's sort of in the same way that like the oto's gnostic mass is catholic as hell but just refuses yeah. to call it that Right. Um I, but again I'm not like into Thelema or anything like that but it's just it's it's catholic in the sense that like it's all of the ritual it's it's even like all the prayer and you know even the all the liturgy is very very similar but it's a, it's a rather it's gnostic instead where it's really more closer to the stuff that they were uh, that they do in sort of like Coptic churches.
1: Yeah. And I like the saints and I like uh like veneration of the saints and and the, that kind of and the and the contemplative tradition there. So
0: yeah, it's something I think that, that was, on to. I think it was really, really why it was easy to kind of win me back is when I got into it and I sort of had this new kind of occult perspective on me because by the time that I'd came, I'd come back around to it, you know, I had been, been practicing on my own with just with the, the ceremonial kind of Western esoteric current for years. And that was when I was like, oh shit, this is all really just the same. It's just that Rome kind of stamped its own brand on this and, 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 right. You know, it made sure that nobody was really was doing it the way that it was supposed to be done. So, you know, it's it was pretty really...
1: easy when you have masses in Latin and people don't know what you're saying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was that. But again, I love like I love the saints. I remember when I was when I was confirmed and I tell people this all the time because I think it's hilarious. But, um, you know, you, cho- were you were you were you did you go all the way through the sacrament? No, where I did could... OK. I so didn't like when you when you're that. when you're confirmed, you choose a name, basically like this is your, right. you know, your confirmation name. And, you know, you s- basically stand before the bishop or the archbishop, whoever's in charge of the diocese. And he kind of, you know, gives you the gives you the thing and then asks you what your chosen name is. But when it came time for me, I'm sitting there and and this like smirking, smart ass kid. And he's like, what, what, what is your chosen name, son? And I said, I, I am Damien. And he rolled his eyes at me and he went, you're going to have to explain that one to me. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, and I and I did and I did to his to his satisfaction I guess because he did he did eventually let me go but yeah. yeah but again like the the story of the like the the what is a father Damien was actually something that was not but it was the name was suggested to me by my mother who's always been an unknowing like sort of she she contributes to the troublemaking yeah without fully knowing about it like she turned me on to h.p lovecraft and stuff and mm-hmm. like a lot of a lot of horror and science fiction and then i think in retrospect is probably thought what have i done on numerous occasions but uh that was yeah. hers she's like oh yeah the story of father damien is really inspiring which is it really it, it really quite is you know it's a guy who went out and f- f- worked at a leper colony in hawaii and he eventually you know was succumbed to the disease and went. But I thought that that was a really interesting story about you know selfless giving to you know people who are outsiders, which is something that's always obviously appealed to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's a uh, it's it's honorable, <laughs> an honorable demise. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I think we've kind of danced around some of the things uh, regarding regarding fear. Uh, what you were talking about, like being able to pinpoint with a lot of Catholics is um how dense some of the material really is and when you boil it down to a concept that a child can understand uh from childhood on you you kind of carry with you uh not so much the mystery of it but the authoritative uh explanation
0: yeah yeah i I suppose that that's actually a really good point about it because you know you, you can't really explain nuance to like a five year old who you're trying right. to kind of rope into this uh, very involved lifestyle. Uh, yeah. So, but like, then nobody really says, I mean, I think this is really kind of why I drifted away from it ultimately is because nobody really explained it to me in a way that. I could apply to, to my life. It was just these, these kind of motions I went through, you know, right. in evenings and every Sunday. And then like, eventually I was like, what am I doing here?
1: Yeah. And you're often made to feel bad for like not being into it or understanding it, you know? And that, yeah. I guess there's like always a guilt aspect to it or a shame aspect, you know?
0: Yeah. So I, I mean, that is very, <clears throat> that is very characteristic of the yeah. of the entire religion is, you know, the, the Simpsons have gotten miles and miles of, of, humor out of that that aspect of it for sure yeah but that's this is a good that's a good way to segue into it like the the you know the hinging philosophy of the of the podcast here Uh, what is it that uh that frightens you
1: uh well yeah i mean i was actually it's funny that we stumbled onto that little discussion there because that's kind of where i was thinking about going with it but um the uh as far as actual fear goes, I, I decided a long time ago that uh, monotony is something that terrifies me more than anything else.
0: Oh, my God. Because great-
1: as a kid, I would try to imagine what hell would actually be like, because I had this concept of like heaven and hell. you sure. know, Just just basic, you know, um, that being put in front of you. And I kind of occurred to me like um, repeated things. Just uh, repeat repetition monotony. Uh, 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 I was like, if you were put in a position where you just heard the same noise over and over again,
0: for it drives you eternity. nuts. My god, that's a great answer. Um, and then, <laughs> but I can I can certainly kind of, I can I can definitely understand that because I too, I don't, I've never really assigned it the same sort of dread that I would fear. But like, if I knew that I was going into a place where I was just going to be there for, you know, an eternity. Yeah, And not doing anything, just waiting for my number to come up like that, like the end of Beetlejuice, I would go insane, you know, like, yeah, like mission accomplished, you know, torment achieved.
1: But then to take it a step further in my, you know, very young cosmology, I thought, well, what's the, what's the opposite of that? If you go to heaven, if you had the same things that you would love best all the time,
0: (laughs) it loses its appeal,
1: right? Yeah. And then it becomes the same thing. It's like, oh, so gosh. I had an existential quandary as a very small kid where that's I'm just funny. like, oh, man, once this life's over, it's just like, either way is not good.
0: Oh God, I know. <laughs> it's like a, the, 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 one of those, those scary door bits they used to do on Futurama where the guy goes to, uh, goes to Vegas and he wins every, yeah. every time he pulls the arm. Oh my God. No, that's, that's a great, that's, I mean, that's a fantastic answer because I can, Personally, I thrive on novelty and I'm sure, I'm sure that you're, you know, you're, we're, you know, we're kind of one of a kind here because that's sort of the, the nature of the kind of mysteries that we, that we chase is we're looking to find something that, you know, we either strongly suspect or just kind of know in our heart of hearts is out there, but we just haven't seen it with our own eyes. And so it very much becomes like a hunt for just, trying to find a new thing, something yeah. cool, you know? And, a new twist. Yeah. yeah, Because
1: <laughs> is- I have experienced some pretty weird things, but um I love hearing stories and and the weirder the better, you know. So um, Right. And
0: um what it like what is it that you do with Liminal Earth? Uh like to what um like to what like extent are you involved with those guys? Because like that is I mean a map of just all of, like the locations where all kinds of like just crazy shit that happened to people on a personal level. is like, I mean, you can't, you can't go well, Once wrong.
1: they opened it up to a worldwide map um, they, they came up with the idea of an ambassador program. So yeah. uh, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, Oh, me, 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 me. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'll do Massachusetts. Give me Massachusetts. So uh, I'm the ambassador for this, this state here. Which basically means that I I try to I try to collect stories from around and get them up on the map and promote it in my general region, you know, and tell people about it. And uh, I help them with promotion and behind the scenes a little bit. We have like an an ongoing Discord that we always just kind of shoot messages back and forth. And uh, I I try to help out where I can. Uh, The bulk of the heavy lifting is Jeremy Puma and Garrett Kelly and uh, Bex and the Liminal now. They do a lot of that stuff on TikTok, and they've had a great, great success with that. That's so awesome. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I support where I can. <laughs> yeah. Do you but, have a uh, lot of,
0: do you have a lot of like, um, like personal submissions? Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, they mostly go straight to the website. I try to direct people to there and then they can submit them through the, through the website or, or, and, um. Haven't been able to collect them as much because it used to happen more organically. I'd just run into people out and about, and now I don't see people out and about nearly as much. Starting true. to come back, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I, I was thinking of, <clears throat> I was trying to come up with different ways of of uh, scouting out for stories, but uh, like hanging flyers and stuff like that. Yeah, but
0: um, yeah, um, like I've got a couple of stories up on there myself like one of the earliest ones is like when I think was really when they first started to kind of pimp it they uh they sort of put their link out there and I was like oh my god this is awesome but like a lot of the stuff including like my my own early sort of submissions to it were very much of um like an atlas obscura nature where it's like oh here's where you know the cool thing happened like I think I, I marked where the hill like the hills were abducted um, up in the mountains and I think where their graves are located which is like you know like a few minutes from my house um, but then eventually I did kind of come back around to it and wrote a, wrote a story about what something that happened to me when I lived in in Marblehead when I was a kid um, that eventually was sort of shaping up to be a story for youth about that just kind of never never really came together but um, it's a story of this, basically a missing place. And it was only then after I, I wrote it that I sort of realized how weird things have been for me ever since I was really a, a kid. And in that and in that story, it was about the was somewhere in the mid 80s and a friend of mine and I were riding around downtown. And we ran into some kids who were from a different school in the area. And they were like, oh, we're gonna go to the bomb shelter. We'll, we'll, you know, you guys ought to come. And so we were like, okay, cool no idea what they were talking about and we rolled over and they they walked us into this like spot in the woods that kind of opened up and there was like a a hole in the ground that we all with like a ladder sticking out of it and like we all went down into it and it was this like cavernous underground space that I never really got an idea for how big it it really was because eventually we were like okay nobody thought to bring a flashlight or anything like that there's no there's no light sources down here like there's that hole in the ceiling but i mean it went a ways back and then like on the way back a bunch of strange things happened but the strangest thing was that the next day the kid who i was hanging out with and i we were like obsessed with this we're like oh my god we're going to get those big ass flashlights that his dad has we're going to come back to this thing we're going to go down there and we're gonna have a really good look around but when we went back to the spot and there's not a, like marblehead is a very densely populated area there's not a lot of like forested area to explore down there we went back to where they had brought us and searched for like an hour and a half and never found it and then when we saw those kids again we were like hey where was that place you took us to that bomb shelter? They're like, who are you and what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it has mystified me. And I think I honestly, I think about it like every couple of years, like it comes to mind or I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a, it's a really bizarre thing that happened to me when I was a kid. And so I, I thought that was the perfect place to put it.
1: Now your friend that was with you, do they remember that too? Um, the,
0: so I mean, when have you
1: kept in touch with them,
0: I did not. So after I moved, I moved, I was like, I don't know, I was like 11, I think when I moved. So, you know, and it was much harder to sort of stay in touch with, with people then, than it is now I've looked him up and I found him, but I thought it would be at this point, you know, like, you know, 40, you know, 30 something years later to to be like, Hey, it's me. That guy you used to hang out with when we were in fourth grade. Hey, remember that really fucked up thing that happened to us.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, things are like that. I mean, uh, I've had weird stories from when I was younger and it, you just feel like it would be really weird to reach out to people, you know? Yeah. And it, a lot of the stuff I encountered growing up, I always hesitated, hesitated to share it because it involved also my brother and my cousins and stuff. And I'm like, I don't really know if they want me sharing all this stuff because some yeah. of it concerns them more than me, you know? <laughs> like, So I try to be respectful of people's boundaries with that stuff when it comes mm. to storytelling. But yeah, that is a killer story. That one there. That's
0: Yeah, like that, like thinking back on it. And then it's sort of like, have I just kind of like has it embellished over time? Like the more I think about it, the more it changes. But like, it's very, it's a very simple story. And the thing that like that really kind of pinpoints it. I mean, it's not just the fact that we couldn't find it. It was just like on the way out of the tunnel that we were in. Um there were when we started to actually come back into the area where the light was coming in from from above when I looked ahead I saw more kids than we came in with and then yeah. when we all went to the surface it was you know the it was just back to normal and everybody was everybody was fine but uh yeah like the whole the entire experience is just incredibly strange and I've talked about it with friends who and we've all tried to sort of like figure out like just pure speculation like what like what happened and I think the one time that we came up with uh and all sort of agreed was well you know you probably like you probably like emerged from into like a different earth than the one that you left you know of course right. we were all on we were all on drugs at the time but you know, yeah. they, it made perfect. It made perfect sense at the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only rational explanation is that those kids went way out of their way to mess with you. That's for like little, little or no payoff. Cause they that's the
0: thing is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They yeah. couldn't have guaranteed that you'd come back and ask them again. And then just so they could pretend to not know you like, yeah. you know, wow. the, the the payoff would have been nothing at all. I mean, if they ditched you down there or something like that, at least that would be a prank, you know? Right. Cause
0: I, cause one of the, like, I mean the, the setup and the sort of leading up to it was there was a little bit of malice in it. Like it was like the whole, the way that that's, that that town is the town's really kind of big and there's like three elementary schools there. And these guys were like, most of them, they were all from one of the other schools. So the connecting tissue was, One of them was a guy that my friend played hockey with, and so that's kind of how he knew. But when we first started talking to him, like they were really kind of dicks and really kind of, they were being very sort of aggro towards us. Yeah. And so they were like, "Hey, like we gotta take him to the bomb shelter." Like, "Yeah, we'll go to the bomb shelter." You know, like like, but you know, of course, I'm, you know, I don't give a shit. I'll like almost like
1: a hazing kind of thing. Kind of. Bet you won't. You know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but like when we got there, there was it was just like you know six kids going into this this hole in the earth right it was such god it was such a strange thing yeah it is bizarre yeah so what is it on along that lines like like where where's the like where the footsteps in in your story like what eventually sort of brought you around um Uh, to this well,
1: I mean, like, I think my the earliest experience I ever had, I've told the story on a few few different podcasts, so I'll try to do the truncated version of it. But um, I had a, a pair of uh, luminous entities just kind of, like, hanging out at the foot of my bed when I was very young that asked me a couple of questions, and uh, <laughs> it was a, a, biz, a bizarre experience. Um, I think that's probably where it began for me you know
0: no kidding How uh so how, like about how old were you
1: see that's one that's the only detail of this that has changed over time because i can only guess mm-hmm. um we, i had a bunk bed with my brother so i was old enough to be on a top bunk okay because that, that's where it took place um i've had to adjust it based on that a couple times because i i learned actually fairly recently that my brother was moved to a bed younger than than i would have expected because uh he just refused to sleep in the crib anymore. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I may have been like I was between the ages of like three and five,
0: probably up there. Interesting. You know, like pretty young. Um, um do you uh th- <laughs> a lot? And I I do have a sort of a follow up and a sort of like how this sort of relates to to me as well. Do you have like memories of that uh, of of early of your early life that um seem like it's strange that you would, you would have remembered something being that young. Cause like, I would say that having a memory out like that, like at three years old, that's, that's, that's significant. But then again, this also sounds like a very significant event.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, and there's a hell of a lot I don't remember from early childhood. Oh, sure. Like for later than that, even like Mm -hmm. there's stuff. I probably like, I can't remember anything specific about age six or eight, you know, (laughs) um, But uh, I really don't know how old I I was specifically, but I know my brother was really young. So, um, And I know that we were occupying a room in the house that was really small that we moved out of by the time we had had grown up a little bit. Oh, wow. So um, that room ended up being like a guest bedroom that was situated between my parents' room and our bedroom with no other access to it so essentially we never had guests that stayed in there or anything it would have been kind of awkward you'd have to walk through a bedroom to get there yeah and um so we called it the spare room and that always seemed to be like where the any kind of activity in the house was starting from oh that's it was, fascinating was this, yeah abandoned room in the house <laughs> <laughs> but that's where i had the initial encounter was that okay. it was my bedroom um and later in high school, my brother ended up moving back into that room as his room, and he'd have to cut through my room to get there. Gotcha. Um, and he he experienced a lot of weird shit in there when when he was in high school. So
0: very um, interesting. Because um, why, why? The reason I asked about age was because um, I also like I have a a I have a very I have a memory like the earliest memory I have from childhood is is I must have been. I was in a crib and I have, I remember this quite clearly. And it's also equally as strange in that in the memory I'm holding on to, I'm standing up in the crib and I'm holding onto the bars on the side and I'm looking at the door to the room and there's a person standing in the doorway, but they have the head of a bird. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this is one of those things that like, I mean, maybe it's just like one of those sort of like weird sort of, misfires in your brain that kind of like, you know, just, I don't know, just you you, being very, very little, like you're just not quite making the right sense of the stimulus that's coming through. But I, this is very, a very clear, like uh, a very clear memory that I have that like in that, in the trailer where for the show here, I talk about this nightmare that I had when I was like three or four. I remember that equally as clear. Like, I mean, it, it may as well have been yesterday. It's very, very strange that it stands out, but yes,
1: Oh yeah, I have nightmares from around that time too that I remember. Um yeah. that, that that stick out um pretty clearly. But no, that kinda of blew my mind because in that same room I, I definitely have a memory of a shadowy figure in the doorway that almost had like a Frankenstein's monster kind of silhouette to it. Oh, oh wow. Uh, <laughs> but um I think I've explained that one over time. I think my my mom had asked like our neighbor to watch us or something and it's just his shadow got distorted when he yeah, just stepped in the doorway to just poke his head in and see if we're still, you know, there. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, that scared the shit out of me when I was a kid, though, because it looked like a Frankenstein monster.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> I I can understand that. Um, so but, were
1: the dreams like a bird head guy or a
0: nightmare? Uh, or no, uh, no, the uh, the nightmares were just general terror, in yeah. you know, you in, know, in it was. The, like the only ones that I really sort of remember is honestly is really just that one that I talk about it, the, the kind of play, I, I kind of consider it really sort of like a parasomnia at the time where it was just, every time I went to sleep, the dreams were bad. Mm. Um, You know, it's, it, you know, it's stuff i talked about with therapists and, and things like that. And there's, there's probably a root cause, but like, there was nothing, Nothing particularly weird or sort of like uh, like you know strange about it. It was just you know a yeah. child with a, a very sort of like a, a, I don't know an anxiety that kind right. of manifested that way, just fear in yeah. general. Um, but yeah, that that memory of the person standing in the doorway sticks out. It's always stuck out to me, especially since I read um, oh the Stargate conspiracy. Yeah. Um, by Lynn uh, Pick- Picknett, I believe, yeah. is, is the author. And that all of the guys who sort of surrounded this uh, Stanford Research Institute were always talking about this, like, uh, this, or this organization or an order of being that it sort of called them to this. Like, Yuri Geller eh. spoke about, I think he called it Spectra. And they were like bird it was like a bird-headed being of some kind and huh. so when i saw stuff like that like it just immediately came back to me i'm like oh no i was visited by spectra
1: yeah, it just makes me think of like egyptian hieroglyphics and stuff
0: yeah that's that's part of it certainly wasn't lost yeah. on me well right. uh
1: either right yeah. well um I, I had these dreams when i was when i was a kid and the earliest like nightmare i can actually remember is uh It was actually kind of an interesting thing uh, for me to look back on now, considering how, how, how much I'm in the, the public with my interest in all these weird subjects. And I'm on Twitter all the time tweeting about it to think back, like this one dream I had where I went up to a barn that doesn't exist in real life, but in my dreamscape, it existed like in my hometown on a specific street that I recognized. I walked up the hill, so, I mean, and this barn has been a recurring thing in dreams over the years. Every once in a while, I'll be like on that road in a dream and I can see it up on the hill, but it doesn't, doesn't exist in real life. Yeah. So I walked up there and walked around the the side of the barn and there was a flying saucer just landed in, in this, um, clear clearing area, you know, just like a dirt patch. And it was just sitting there, um, landed. And I'm looking at the thing, and all of a sudden I get this sense of dread, like, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be seeing this. Like, I better get out of here. And I turn around, and there's, like, a typical kind of G-man person there. <laughs> like, with, like, a like a brown kind of long coat and a tie and a white shirt and, like, the fedora hat and sunglasses. Yeah. And I turn, run right into him, and I just see his hand coming down toward me, and I woke up
0: yeah see that's the thing like the stuff that that the the sort of the material of the of the scares in nightmares is often the most interesting thing to me when i when i upon reflection when i think about it because the stuff that that sort of startles me and sort of jars me awake is usually like thinking about it isn't terribly frightening but in the context of the dream and maybe it's just what the imagery is representing in the moment sort of abstracted like my mind whatever is generating the, these images it knows what what this thing actually represents but yeah you know the the sort of the visual representation doesn't match up with the degree of fear cuz like i've had dreams where i've screamed myself awake legitimately like you know vocalizing okay. as i as i wake up and then i think about it and i'm like the hell was scary about that yeah you know but um the geography of dreams is something that i i find extremely interesting because i also i haven't in some time but there was a period of about three years where i swear to god every night i dreamt of one of three locations and like it's the same thing where uh, um they did not take they were they were sort of amalgamations of real places in the world, but not to the degree that you were talking about, where if I looked at a spot, I'd say, Oh, that's, you know, that's the place in the dream. But in, in this case, it was like, it's either a high school or for some reason it's a shopping mall or, um, it's a couple of other little, little spots like that, but I know them so well that I could actually like draw a map of them. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I had, I had a place like that. I went through a pretty rough patch in my twenties. Um, Uh, dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety and stuff and was on a lot of medication but um there was there was a long period where I had the same kinds of nightmares every night there was just this big hospital setting yeah and it was it was situated in a jungle on an island and that was kind of like what I knew (laughs) and um and like it would shift around all the time every time I went in there like rooms would be in different places but it was essentially kind of the same yeah. Um, and I would always try to find ways out of the place and you know, like, I'd go down, uh, an improbable amount of stairs. Like there must be like so many sub basements or something. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Like you're you in know? some
0: kind of like, like a Franz Murnau movie.
1: Yeah. And, um, the thing was it, it got really bad and it was kind of to the point like you were saying where it, it was hard to get a restful night's sleep because you wake up and you didn't really feel like you slept because you had these crazy dreams yeah um and i remember thinking at the time like i don't really have dreams anymore i only have the nightmares like n- nightmare is the the, the baseline
0: it's the, yeah it's just steady yeah. state. Uh, so um
1: i what i actually did about it though is i wrote a series of poems that acted almost like a hyper sigil where I took control of that environment and it was a series of poems that told one long story and and put it together in a way that I was controlling the narrative in that situation oh wow and at the very end of it um, you know naturally I escape from that and remove myself from that and the whole island collapses and that pretty much cured it
0: that is magical as hell
1: Yeah. And I I didn't have the word hyper sigil in my vocabulary. I kind of picked that up way later. But um, at the time, I I wasn't necessarily sure what I was doing. But I kind of intuitively knew that if I took all these images and put them together in like a hyper surreal series of poems, that nobody's going to understand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I (laughs) mean, I I know
1: what it is, you know. It makes (laughs) it
0: from like a, a just a sort of a therapeutic standpoint. Like, I mean, it's kind of the definition of like art therapy. Like, this is. Right. what you're doing that's is you're a, you're encoding this thing that haunts you into sort of like a medium that you control and so yeah I mean it makes perfect sense that at the conclusion of this like you become the master of that of that thing that's that's amazing yeah.
1: it was pretty bizarre and I was kind of happy that it worked uh, but an odd side effect of it was I lost the ability to write poetry after that so I guess <laughs> it was a
0: trade-off <laughs> you've got like a like yeah you have like writer's block forever now
1: well, no, I just kind of felt like I did everything I needed to do with poetry, and I was done with it at that point. That so I don't sense. know, maybe all the poetry I wrote leading up to that was just preparation for being able to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that could be.
1: Who knows? I think fate, fate and magic and things like that just weave themselves together in a way that I've learned at this point in my life that sometimes it's okay to just let something go and not do it anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, what is it? It's sort of like the the rule the rules of Dungeons and Dragons. When the magic user casts a spell, like when they use it, they forget it, so they have to like go through the process of learning it all over again in order to like throw a fireball. But like you know, in the same sort of situation, like you have exhausted. Oh, the, I think of you know, it as
1: just forging a key that worked for that one door, and then I'm on to the next one. I have another lock that's going to need to be unlocked, and it's
0: going to need a different key. You know, that's a really Fate, like fantastic just fascinating point of view to have on that and like that's something that i'm definitely going to kind of keep in mind i haven't had that, that that problem in a very long time where i've been haunted by those uh by those dreams but when i do have them now they're they're particularly potent um but uh yeah it's uh yeah well you write fiction too right I do, I do, and I sort of have. I've encoded it a little bit into some of the things that I've done. Like um, the 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 game eventually became sort of. It was derailed by just circumstance, you know. Like, uh, you know, we were we were like four adults trying to sort of get the time together to sort of play a role playing game for a couple of nights every couple of weeks, and it just turned out to be way too hard. But I was funneling a lot of that stuff into the into the cult game I was running for the Gnostic Wisdom Network at the time, um, it, uh, which I don't think any of the players really, really knew, but it was definitely sort of inspired by a lot of the things that have kind of followed me around and the sort of weirdness that either I'm fascinated by or haunted by. Uh, one of the characters uh, was a guy who we never fully got to really flesh it out, but he could never be sure if he was dreaming or if he was awake. Because oh, the nice. landscape of his reality was constantly shifting, but it was only for him. Everybody else was sort of sharing his his reality, yeah. but like theirs was, you know, noth- that none of that weird stuff sort of happened, like where I would sort of slip little clues in, like, you know, you're talking to a person and it's a man. And then like later on, like halfway through the conversation, it sort of shift the pronouns and see if anybody, yeah. and see if anybody knows, oh, wow. you know, such as, as happens in dreams where like, just, there's this sort of fluidity to it, where things just kind of shift on you and you just go with it. And when you think about it, if you can remember the details, when you wake up, you're like, oh yeah, like I started out in one place and just through like, you know, however time happens to pass in that sort of space, you know, the location shifts and you don't even know it until you really think about it after you've woken up. But, you know, I yeah. would try to do things like that as I, as I ran them through the game. But um, yeah, yeah.
1: I and mean, um, I feel like I had a point to make on one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I can relate to that. There, d- during that time where that I described earlier, it does kind of get that way, um, where when you're not well rested and you're having these bizarre kinds of uh, of uh, you know unrestful nightmare laden nights. And then your days you're exhausted and you're depressed and after a while you're like am i dreaming right now oh no like
0: (laughs) i had i definitely had moments like that and i I know exactly what you're talking about because i worked in a i worked in a, a hospital for a little while after i got out of school i was interviewing for like you know real like sort of professional jobs that are more in line with what i was chasing but i was working in a psychiatric hospital And so on top of just working second shift and third shift, often in double shifts, because you got paid crazy money when you do that in a hospital setting. um, I was getting lots of money, but like at the same time, I wasn't, I wasn't getting any sleep either. And my God, did that have a really bad effect on me, but I would be, there would be times where I would sort of just think I was at work and then I'd wake up and be in my room (laughs) and, uh, Yeah, Yeah, yeah. sleep
1: deprivation alone can really do it to you. You can really start hallucinating from sleep deprivation, Um, not eating enough and sleep up are are two things that will really screw with your reality in ways that people don't, people that haven't done it don't realize, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I think there's a reason that like a lot of ascetic monks do that sort of thing for You know, they they either fast for days on end or they stay up just praying and praying and praying for days or weeks. And then eventually they have that sort of ecstatic moment. Yeah. Um, And it's like, you know, to to get there, you have to really sort of put yourself through it and get yourself into a sort of like emotionally weakened state.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep, I would agree with that. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's something that I would always... I think what should probably should have terrified me more when I was younger is like not being able to tell the difference, you know, being <laughs> yeah. in those states and being like, yeah, have it is this real or not? you know, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah,
1: but I always kind of found it to be sort of an adventure, you know
0: that's I guess- definitely how I, I I always sort of faced it, especially when I was a kid, because you know uh, you know that was like the the age of like the goonies, and all any kid wants is just to have that huge crazy adventure yeah Um, it's just that my vibe happened to be way scarier uh, than you know pirate treasure and you know gangsters so it was more like the gate the gate is definitely (laughs) i usually think like oh you know the monster squad is the one that was really made for me but no no i think the gate is definitely the the one that see that uh,
1: was an early horror movie for me that really messed with me i think that was the first time i tried to watch a horror movie that was made like post 1940s yeah um Because I watched, I loved watching Universal monster movies as a kid, and a lot of the old William Castle and Roger Corman movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I was, I was actually afraid as a kid of the concept of horror movies, because my mother had been like scarred for life by The Exorcist, (laughs) yeah, when it was brand new, and. she always told me like how scared she was by that movie and i was always afraid if i watched a horror movie i'd have the same effect on me like yeah. i would always be scared of a movie because of it yeah so i i like it i remember watching the gate on tv and flipping the channel and going to a different thing and but then always coming back It's like what's happening now and i'm like oh no it's too scary to the channel again.
0: <laughs> it's a really mild movie but i also had that uh, that 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 sort of experience with it, because I we must be right around the same age because that was yeah. also like that was like the movie because I think it was it wasn't an R-rated horror movie. I think it's like PG 13.
1: It is. But there's and a it, couple if you of, watch it now, you're like, this is kind of funny and
0: weird, yeah. but it was it was horrifying when I was when I was a kid. There's a scene I remember where one of the one of the main characters is sort of moving around the house as it's in the throes of this like of this demon infestation, and there's all, like all these photos of the family on the wall. And they pass one, and the family is just all bloody and nasty and stuff. Yeah. That yeah. one just fucked with me. It just that well, got the part me that me.
1: got me is he was in the closet, and his sister becomes possessed or something, and he has yeah. to like beat on her with a Barbie doll, and then he like stabs her eye out with it. <laughs> and he's just like, oh man, that's like his sister though. Like, yeah, but yeah.
0: She- I mean, it's, it's got stakes. It's such a weird movie, man. I'm surprised more people don't talk about it. Cause what well, like, a weird movie. Yeah. It's so <laughs> strange. And like, I don't think that that the person who made that movie ever actually really did much else beside maybe. I think some, there was a game too,
1: actually. I think there I is a game too. I've yeah. never, I've never seen it, but I've heard about it.
0: So. I've never seen it either, yeah. but uh, I'll have to, I'll have to get around to checking that one out. But, um, but when you watch
1: horror movies as a kid in a house, that's actually pretty haunted that that raises the stakes too because i remember the very first time i watched the shining the the poltergeist activity started kicking up and i was in the house by myself oh no <laughs> i think it was like the scene where like the elevator doors open and the blood starts coming out yeah and i just heard a tremendous clatter from the kitchen and i get up and all the pots and pans had kind of flown out of the cabinet and were all over the floor in there
0: oh my god
1: and I'm just thinking, like, oh, right now we're gonna do this right now.
0: <laughs> start to like you start to experiment with it. And it's like let's see how it deals with the movie Poltergeist next.
1: Yeah, well, I've always I've always felt attracted to that one because that one has the genuine feel of living with poltergeists. I think in a in a really exaggerated way, because that's yeah. basically what I grew up with was a lot of poltergeist activity, and I always felt. Um, well, that movie came out the year I was born. Okay. And, um, I remember my parents telling me they, they, they had thought I was going to be a girl because they never, they didn't do the ultrasound thing when mm. I was in the womb. They were, they were going to name me Carol Ann.
0: Oh no, so really?
1: That they always had this like thing that kind of, uh, you know, tied me to the movie because the little girls named that in the movie, the one that right. disappears. And then, um, yeah, so I've always felt like I had this kind of weird synchro, uh, Tie to the movie somehow.
0: So they were going and to actually name you Carol Ann.
1: That was the name they had in mind because that was my mom's godmother's name.
0: No kidding, that's amazing.
1: So, right, and um, and uh, so growing up, like I had that bit of family history thrown to me, but also I was experiencing par- poltergeist activity and watching. So yeah, movie, like
0: you're like you're tied directly to to the weird, like straight from birth. That's crazy. I guess
1: so yeah
0: (laughs) yeah i mean going back like just like i had i had mentioned like my confirmation name was damian my parents almost actually named me damian and it burns me that that they didn't follow through because i was like oh you know i bet you that the omen scared them off from that but i looked it up and the omen came out after i was born so it was just a a name my mom liked i guess because again she was the one that recommended it to me when i got confirmed so you know there it is but oh yeah that, that that's something that haunts me is that like I almost had an awesome name but um man that is that is wild so was this was this I want to go back to the sort of the, the sort of personal paranormal occurrences that happened to you was this something that sort of followed you around did you live in multiple places did you oh, yeah. or did you, oh you did okay
1: it followed me to work uh <laughs> I, I I came to believe eventually it wasn't so much of a haunting and maybe that makes it easier to deal with um, but I mean, even at a very young age, when I started noticing this stuff and experiencing it, um, the, I, I started like my mom had the, uh, reader's digest book of, un, of the unexplained or mysteries oh, yeah. of the unexplained.
0: Oh yeah. Time life books.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, um, well, there's the time life ones and then there's the reader's digest one. That's one right. volume and it has everything in it pretty much.
0: That's great. But that,
1: that kind of turned me on to like the Ryan JB Ryan and, and Louisa Ryan and started looking them up and started looking up like what parapsychology is. Yeah. So I, by the time I watched the ghostbusters movies as a kid, I was already kind of familiar with the term parapsychology. And when I could see that, I could see the Zener cards in the movie. I'm like, Oh, I know yeah. what those are. Yeah. You know, like,
0: <laughs> that is a thing that happened like really right. I mean, it was probably something that was just sort of like a, uh, like a leftover piece of the seventies was that there was a time in this country particularly in the university system where they actually had like parapsychology departments, um, like a friend of mine, her father actually has a degree from like an Ivy league university in this. He was one of the last people to actually be, no, it still exists to do such a thing. But, um, yeah, like they took it, they took it fairly seriously. I mean, the CIA was pumping a tremendous amount of money into it, Mm-hmm. Um, and probably not so much these days, which is why you don't really hear about it all that much. Or you know, the parapsychology classes that do exist are just sort of like blow off electives at you know at universities. Because my wife took one also, hmm. um, you know, when she went to UNH. Right, but uh, it, yeah,
1: when, when you go back as far as the Rhines I mean, they were kind of blazing new new ground with that because I don't think it was really so much a thing. You had psychical research prior to them yeah. in, in the UK and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I came around to discovering the term recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis, which you know, is just the idea that I could move things with my mind, but yeah. I didn't know how to control it, so it happens
0: spontaneously. Sure. Um, in the <laughs> um, certain, in the order of of children in your family, like where do you where do you fall? I'm the oldest. Okay. Okay.
1: But then yeah. again, my cousins were over every day. I had one cousin that was a little bit like a month older than me, pretty much.
0: All right. And, so yeah, it's just like yeah. a lot of that kind of like, so this is something that happened really sort of in that sweet spot that, that usually like a lot of the para parapsychologists talk about like teenage years. Stuff.
1: Well, yeah, aside from the, um, the luminous entities, when I was real small, it was, I kind of had a reprieve from a lot of activity for a number of years and then probably picked back up when I was in that kind of pre preview and age all through my teens and into my twenties. Mm-hmm. So, um,
0: like like a, but yeah, I like mean, the there were,
1: what's that?
0: I said you're like the X-Men. Yeah, I mean,
1: well, and I mean, there were a bunch of us kids there. That's another thing that's common in poltergeist cases. Is, is there were like six to eight of us at any given time because so my mom yeah. kind of was running like an unofficial daycare. So <laughs> my cousin's over every day and a couple of my friends, you know, so uh, yeah, a lot of energy. But I found that it did just seem to follow me when I got jobs as a teenager and into my 20s. Especially in times of stress, um, I, the activity would pick up right around me, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. So um, I remember a convenience store where I worked where like beef jerkies would just jump off the hook and <laughs> coffee cups would come off of the stack that was stacked straight up and then float down to the ground and land topside up. Oh, and, wow. You know, it was a lot of weird stuff, you know? <laughs> so, um, but. Uh, Yeah, I I came to kind of believe it was something in my own in my own mind. You know, I don't don't think it was necessarily a ghost, although (laughs) sometimes it had the attributes of that. um, We'd find like crumpled up notes from (laughs) whatever this entity was. Oh, no way. Which, you know, I always kind of like suspected my cousin was doing it to mess with me, but she was kind of equally surprised by them sometimes in a way that I didn't think she was capable of faking. Yeah, um, A lot of weird things. Uh, we had a we had a, uh animal puppet. An animal from the Muppets.
0: From the Muppets, yeah, yeah.
1: It was an actual working one that, that was full-size, and it seemed to have oh, a life cool. of its own. It would always end up places that we didn't leave it. Um, it was like the
0: clown puppet and poltergeist.
1: Yeah, basically. It was basically the clown puppet and poltergeist. We'd be outside doing yard work, because my mom would put us to work out there, and we'd see it go by the window, and we'd be like, nobody's inside. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, how the hell did that happen? You yeah. know, there's yeah. so many um, stories with that old house and just general poltergeist stuff. It's hard for me to even have any kind of linear uh, progression. with it. <laughs> you know? Was it
0: was it an old house? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was built yeah. in
0: 1779.
1: Oh, wow. OK. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, my parents currently live somewhere that was built in the 50s. And still to this day, sometimes weird stuff will happen over there. Yeah even without me there so
0: um right like the i think and this is this kind of goes back to the whole concept of sort of like being a person who was subjected to some things that are so strange that there's a fascination to it that kind of draws us in because like even though i was always really into this sort of thing like i had a very similar sort of experience when i was a teenager living in the house that Uh, really like the last house that I lived in with my parents before, you know, I moved out with the school and sort of like became an adult proper. But when we moved into that place, the moment they started tearing the house apart to sort of like renovate it because they bought it in a sort of state, you know, it was, it was owned by a, by an elderly woman who lived there by herself. And it was like just way too much house. And it went to, um, know it kind of went to ruin and so they started to kind of break it up and and rebuild it and it's sort of like the classic horror movie scenario like the moment they started to renovate shit went crazy in that place yeah yeah um you know and like my whole life I was like oh man if I could just live in a haunted house that'd be the best and then it happened to me and I was like this sucks oh my god
1: (laughs) so did you see any like apparitions or anything like that uh
0: no but my sister did um in my in in my experience the um the way that it sort of manifested was in sounds and um I would always sort of like hear things so um for instance the very first night that we really noticed something, actually, no, I did see something once. And that was the um half the house was basically an old barn that was going to be sort of turned into office space for my dad's business. And while it was still just a barn, it was just empty, you know, boards, you know, bear studs you know like this but there were windows and i was going out to my car to like go to my girlfriends or something like that and it was in the evening and i was having a cigarette I looked up and i saw basically someone in the upper window like looking at me and when they realized i was looking at them they kind of like retreated into the darkness yeah Uh, but at the time i was like oh shit somebody's up in our you know in the barn but then like there was there was like the the night that it really kind of officially kicked off was like all the, the there was a a smoke detector that would that kept going off in the middle of the night would get everybody up and go out and sort of reset it and everybody go back to bed and then it would go on again and again and again we put it away but then eventually like other ones started going off they shut that one off and another one would start going off and shut that one off and another one and so all night long we're chasing this thing but the the night that it all kind of came together was i was alone of course in the place and um i was watching tv in my parents room which was next to like some stairs that went down to the where the door was that went out to the to the barn and it had uh this is like a really old house so everything kind of has its own sound you know it's all very you know it's all very signature and so i heard the doorknob to the door going to the uh, um to the barn open like it had a it was rusty and it creaked mm-hmm. and I, I shut everything off and listened really really hard for the longest time there was no sound at all and then I heard somebody walking across the floor which was all just hardwood floor
1: Yeah,
0: and I'm like oh shit somebody's in the house with me and then like there's a light switch that somebody turned that they turned on downstairs because it had a really loud pop mm-hmm. and I'm like oh no like somebody's in the house with me and so I just panicked yeah. didn't know what to do and I hid in a closet in my room. And after a while I was in there, I swear to God, I was in there for like an hour and a half, but after a while, I'm like, I'm just this, I'm just imagining things. This is crazy. I'm just, you know, jumpy and I'm in the house alone. When um, somebody came into my room and started like shuffling around through the papers, I heard like one of my dresser drawers open. Like they were kind of going through all the stuff on my desk right outside the door from me. And I'm like, Oh shit. Like I'm screwed. If they open up this,
1: yeah you know this closet yeah, that's terrifying
0: <laughs> and then and then they didn't and eventually the place went silent and i you know eventually found the the sort of courage to come out and walk around the place and sure enough like all the doors were locked as they should have been but that light that i heard get turned on was on and i know for a fact that i had shut it off before i'd, I'd gone up because i was just gonna go upstairs and like watch a little tv and then go to bed yeah and I tell I tell my parents this and my you know my my family makes fun of me except for my sister who also had some really kind of strange things mm. um you know like like she saw she actually saw something that looked like an old man in her room once yeah and, um, yeah so like just weird like weird stuff like that and it was eventually it stopped you know we we lived there for a while and they they got the place kind of like finished and in a state that they liked and that sort of activity, chilled out quite yeah. a bit but you'd still hear things there was a sound that would happen every night that sounded like something falling down the stairs mm-hmm. and right around the same time but uh yeah I like when i finally
1: that sounded like somebody dragging something across the floor in the attic above
0: me. i would hear things that sounded like people moving furniture around right yeah yeah but uh yeah eventually and eventually like i when i moved out i was like hey you know have have you know really scare the hell out of the people who who are in here uh who are in here next let oh, see know, this is so something here's... i
1: i really wanted to bring up and i wanted to i'll just ask you specifically about it do you did you ever sense the presence without hearing anything and have that just grip you
0: yes and it was always in the basement right um because for like i for whatever reason i lived there for a couple of years and uh for whatever reason the basement was just a terrifying place like it was it had a bad vibe to it anyways right but there was something just like particularly off about it and like the whole time i lived there i went down in the basement like three times like
1: so i think this is something that a lot of people that watch like paranormal investigation shows don't quite get and why i know a lot of them are full of shit because i i read i i don't i've never been able to find the passage again but it was i think like uh one of the old like british psychical researchers might have been like herewood hereward carrington or somebody like that describing the sense that i think it was at borley rectory or one of those places of just getting a feeling like they would just been uh hit in the solar plexus that just kind of um
0: it's an oppressive feeling that's yeah. very hard to put into words like. yeah
1: and I remember as a kid having to look up what the solar plexus was. And then I'm like, oh, I've felt that before. It's like all of yeah. a sudden you're stopped dead in your tracks and and you can feel the tingle all over and just intense fear. Like, "Uh oh,
0: <laughs> like, yeah, it's oh, that sort of, I, think I it's need a to primal go. reaction to something that you, that some part of you realizes is there, but like you're.
1: But not because you got startled. It's not because you heard something. You didn't see right, anything. Right, it just comes over you. Yeah, it just comes over you, and it—it's like almost like you can feel your hair turning white, and uh, and I think to to me that's the test for knowing if somebody's actually experienced like a haunting sort of ghostly activity is because I don't think you really have it without that. I think that's like a that that kind of feeling is something that I would I would tell people that think they want to go play with ghosts or whatever. Like I wouldn't try to warn people off of it necessarily, but you have to recognize that that's that that feeling is going to be very real for you <laughs> at some point. You it know? is.
0: It is definitely. I mean, I didn't really realize that there was a that this was a thing until you just mentioned it. But
1: I never hear anybody talk about it, which is why I wanted to bring it up because I've felt that before. And it's it's it's, it's not it's pleasant. Interesting. You know, it's
0: not at all. It's <laughs> it's sort of in the same way that uh, like I talk about those the the quality of fear in a, in a nightmare where, like I was saying, like when you wake up, you're like, what was so scary about that? But it's the same sort of thing where it's like some part of you realizes something is there that is, I don't know, threatening, menacing it. it, It's just whatever it is. It's enough to trigger that sort of response in your brain, you know, that gives you all the fear chemistry. But your conventional senses have no point of reference for it, which I think adds a little something to it. it may actually be the sort of anchor point for what makes it so, so frightening is because you're afraid of something for a reason you'll, you have no idea.
1: Yeah, and you don't even know where it's coming from. So you have nowhere to run away from it. You know, no, yeah. like you said, no point of reference, you know. Um yeah. So you're pretty much frozen. I think it's like the waking equivalent of when you're in a dream and you're trying to scream, but no sound comes out. Yeah. I, I'd like to open this up. I should put this on Twitter at some point. Cause like, I wonder if if other people have experienced this, you know,
0: I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to definitely, I, I want to know what people think. Uh, especially like, so if you're listening to this and this is the sort of thing that you've experienced uh, buzz us on Twitter uh, and let us, let us know. Um where can they find you on Twitter, by the way?
1: Oh yeah, um, well, I'm <laughs> my old Twitter handle was aficionado prodigiosus, perfect <laughs> find strangeness. So uh, my handle is at a p r o d. If you go that far, usually it finds me. But yeah, ap strange on Twitter, uh, it nice. should be easy enough to find.
0: Nice, and you've got a podcast too.
1: Yeah, I've been hosting the Eternal Void, but with jazz on and off it, it's i haven't been as regular with it as uh this fine podcast because i have a hard time <laughs> um finding the time in my life but um yeah that one that one had been on hi- hiatus for a little while so i stepped in to do some guest hosting to just keep it going and uh we're not really sure where we're going to go in the future with it but it's kind of up in the air I and mean, we're we're still nice. releasing them but um uh, you know you know we're we're trying we're toying with the idea of moving on to a bigger and better thing with it. So that that'll be cool if it pans out. Nice. But it's dependent on a lot of other outside life factors. So
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know being a, an adult is such a pain in the ass. It really is. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh well, thanks for uh coming on the show. This has been uh this has been very enlightening, very interesting. Um, and uh there's nothing there are a few things I like talking about. Uh, as much as I like talking about the uh, the paranormal. so this has been this has been very nice. Yeah, this has
1: been a blast. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Uh, love the show and keep up the good work.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Uh, this is AP Strange, everybody. Thank you for listening to Fear is the Mind killer. Once again, I'd like to ask that if you liked what you heard, that you subscribe to me on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And while you're at it, a five star review would be greatly appreciated. If you'd like to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at that Though, that's T H O, and on Instagram as FitMKPod. Join me again in two weeks when I once again dive into the depths of fear and personal horror on Fear is the Mind Killer.